Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome into the Sunday Smash. It is Ira Schofel here with my guy, Dominic Robinson. You guys remember him from his playing days at Florida State, former FSU wide receiver, defensive back, baseball player. Probably could have played basketball. Those team, those basketball teams were not all that great. I'm sure D-Rob could have been <laughs> run out on the wing back in a, Coach Ham's first first year or two with Tim Pickett. Um, and, uh, you know, we're here. Thanks for uh, joining us, ABC um, – Fine liquor and fine wine and spirits is uh, sponsoring the program as usual. We appreciate them and their support making the show possible. And uh, we just want to talk with you guys, talk about Florida State's uh, 41-16 win over Georgia Tech. Looking ahead, obviously, it's Miami week, hate week. They already have the uh, the hurricane flags up over the practice field, D-Rob, as I was walking away from the stadium yesterday. Yeah, saw uh, that. You remember, remember that from your days. And uh, so anyway, let's. I just want to talk a little bit about I talked to texted uh, – with Tom Lang a little bit earlier today, and he told me that uh, that uh, you know you guys were pretty hard on the Knowles yesterday during the uh, watch along and then the uh, post game, which is part of it's well deserved. Um, but I think it was kind of a weird game, though. It's, to me, it was a weird game to just put like a a ribbon on because on the one hand there was a ton of sloppiness and there was a ton of um, just lack of focus, lack of attention to detail, which is ugly, especially coming off a of bye week. Um, but at the same time, you do put up 640 yards. You do hold them to 24 yards and a half. Um, so I guess like now that you've had some time to kind of look back at the game, um, can you get past the ugliness at all? Or are you still focused on what, what you saw, some of the some of the warts that we saw in that game? Um, what a strange, strange Very. deal, man. I yeah. mean, I can't yeah. even – I don't know that I'll ever really be able to wrap that one up or right. – I, because it's very confusing because, again, and that's one of the things I, I said it a couple of times on the show yesterday, be careful of falling in love with numbers. Um, they're great. Numbers are – it's great. They tell – but they only tell a part of the story. And I even – when I was a coordinator, I had a year – I was really young. I was a young coordinator. And um, I was still – I think I said this on the show – my my defense. I was a defensive coordinator. We led the country in NAIA, and um, uh, we were like top ten in the country, but we were one and nine. 
Mm-hmm. So, but because our numbers looked great, you know, if you looked at yards per play, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, whatever it was, our red zone numbers, all these, you know, the numbers were great. We were holding teams, um, but we were giving up huge plays, you know, mm-hmm. so we were good per play. But then if you eliminate that one play, you know, we look like a, a national ranked defense when in reality we weren't. So anyways, they only tell part of the story. The numbers are part of the story. So you look at those numbers, you go, God, Jordan Travis threw for what, 340 something? Uh, three, 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 390 something. 390, 390 like, something. Oh my gosh, 390. <laughs> but if I just gave you a cut up of, let's just even say his um, top 10 throws in that game, if it just to those 10, you would go, okay, there's nothing in particular that he did that was extraordinary on these plays. Um, there was nothing schematically that was a schematic advantage that we did based on an earlier play or setting up plays or anything like that. It was just the other team was so bad. And we have players who are just better. They're more athletic, they're more physical, and they're playing for a coach that they love, not a coach that had been fired two weeks prior, you know? So there was just so many things that I can't, it was ugly, man. Like, and, and again, it's not just about Georgia tech. I, there were some things that we did that just did not look great, you know, uh, in terms of execution. um, I I don't know how those numbers ended up being the way that they did because they look phenomenal. It it looks like, and even the score, even just the score, looks amazing you're like yeah, yeah a, that's a dominant a, game from front to back but it was not like it, there was nothing really dominant about it other than the fact that like i said the other team uh was was pretty bad it was a lot of i mean there's a lot of just a big explosive plays i mean even the play like you know they had the um the the pass where johnny wilson got called for the phantom pick play it was like a 45 yard <laughs> So yeah, 45 yeah. yard completion to the tight end. It's really nice play. I thought that was a good play design. Good play. Picks up 45 yards. You'd love to see a tight end catch a 45 yard pass. And they call the, the pick play, and you're like, okay, well, that's, you know, you take away, it's just a huge play that went for naught. But then they come right back and get like a 62 yard touchdown. You know, the, I think that was the, the play to toe Feely right after that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was a weird, it was just like these explosive plays. I mean, on two passes, you know, to, to Feely and to Johnny Wilson, there's like 140 of those passing yards on two plays yeah. and two of his three touchdown passes. Um, so, you know, you hit those big plays and that's great. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't like it was, it wasn't efficient. And I guess, mm-hmm. you know, but what's interesting though, man, like what's funny to me is everybody's been harping on the Boston college game. Like every, that's like been the Holy grail for this 2022 football team. And they came out and smashed Boston College, and they were so efficient. And they were clean, and and at the time, we all thought, okay, this is it. This is a team that gets it. They don't care about who they're playing. They're going to come correct them up. And then you know what? They kind of did not play well at all the next week against Wake Forest. I didn't think. I didn't think that was yeah. just Wake being great. I didn't. Florida State didn't play well. And then the week later at NC State, they did not play well. They lost to a team that I don't think is better than them. So. I don't know that because they played clean and that BC game told us anything about what they were going to do the next two weeks, anything more than what happened Saturday tells me that they're not going to play well 
this Saturday against Miami. That's that is something I will definitely agree with 100%. I think it's really important um, both for performer, for coach, and for fan to have the ability to compartmentalize. Fans right. typically suck at that. Um, and, media t- media and, too, and, buddy. And media, media too. Yeah, you know, the ability to put stuff in a box and then move on from it, understanding that these things will all be separate entities. Um, I believe that this game, you can't really take anything from this game uh, to extrapolate what it means for the next game. And uh, I think that that's a really, really important distinction that I do want to say, because I do think people think I'm being, um, you know, uh, particularly hard on, on us and on, Jordan Travis and on the execution and then things like that. I'm not saying that that means anything for the team going forward. The situation that we were just in coming from off of a bye week, off of a three game losing streak, off of three top 10 ranked teams, you know, or top 15 ranked teams that we played a team that's head coach has just been fired. uh, That has traditionally not been very strong anyway. There were so many uh, things. A 12 a.m. start you know, or p.m. Yeah. What is, is 12, it 12, 12 a.m. or p.m. They, sh- they should have started at 12 a.m. <laughs> it, sh- it, it should have been. It should have been. It should have been played on Halloween at 12 a.m. That's yeah. the game should have been played. Um, the rest, the camera crew. I think there were four <laughs> passes that just completely got missed uh, that we just didn't even see. We don't even know what happened. Uh, the refs were particularly bad. No, no. Uh, the play calling was funky. Like everything was just off. And so, but I, so I do think it's important that we don't freak out and go, oh, wow, now we have this problem and this problem and that problem. Um, I, I particularly was uh, disappointed because I thought they would be pretty sharp coming off of a buy, off of what they just finished. And um, having Jordan healthy, which I still don't think he's actually healthy, healthy. I said it during the show yesterday. I still think something he's there is a definite concerted effort in the play calling for him to not uh, keep the ball on zone read plays. Like I can see for sure that coach has told him you only keep it. It's 100% you're going to be untouched. But could if it's it, gray, could, he's keeping it. Could it have been – I think that was the case right after, like, the last few weeks. I wonder now, though, I, I kind of wonder if that was precautionary. Like, we don't need you to do because that in this game. game. Yeah. 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 And, it, and we honestly, got Miami next there's, Saturday. There's a lot of factors in that because a lot of times a player, especially someone like Jordan who has a hold of the offense the way that, that he does, he could actually be the one making that decision and be smart enough to know I don't need to run in this game. So it may not even be coached, but I think it's Jordan because of his competitiveness. Like I watch him on a, on a run play. That's the ball that he's giving off and him flying into a defensive lineman, making a block. I watch him on the interception, chase down that guy and uh, get whatever he got on his eye. This is not a guy that's going to shy away from any competitive, type thing that you know what I mean like yeah. I don't think it matters to him up 40 or down 40 I think he just plays a certain way so then when he's not giving or when he's giving every single zone read that tells there's something there 
whether it's him, either he's self-checking and going, I'm not the best option because of my ailment that I have, whatever that is, or the coaches have said, hey, we're going to check you um, and make sure you're, you, you don't run this thing. Uh, Z Chan, I'm going to um, get to your question in a second. Appreciate the contribution. And uh, we're that's, the, talking about the uh, red zone stuff is definitely something we're going to talk about in depth here in a few minutes. I just want to kind of touch back on kind of follow up on what D Rob was saying about this team and what you expected from them this game. Um, and, and I'm going to write about, I'm, I'm, I do my three, two, one column for the site that I'll put up probably later tonight. Um, you know, one of the things from being at practice last week and just talking to people around the program um, during the bye week, you know, there was some concern about how the some of the players, I'm not saying the whole team, there was some concern about how some of the players were just handling losing three straight games. Um, and so, you know, this is a team that, you know, things people need to remember is like, I think the players that have been in this program for three years, the Lawrence Tofeles, and those guys mm-hmm. who have been in the program for three or four years have been at the lowest point like I think they understand probably how to deal with adversity a little bit more, but they brought in a lot of these transfers and, you know, and the freshmen and guys who came here and you're four. No, you're in the top 25 Florida state is back. Some of the players, you know, we're trying to say after the LSU game, you get the big win at LSU. And I think they started feeling themselves a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then you go and you lose to wake. Then you blow the lead at NC state. Then you, get beat at Clemson, you're, you know, you come back and make it close, but it wasn't all that competitive for part of that game. And I think some of those guys started getting down, you know, and I think, so the bye week, you know, they practice for a couple days. Then they just let guys have like three days off and just go home, go get rested. Jordan Travis and some guys went to Orlando and hang out. Like they just want to get them to kind of get refreshed and, 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 and go back. And then I think they were hoping, you know, see what it looks like when they get back. I still think some guys just weren't, you know, I think they were down about what had happened. So I think that is something that they had a hard time getting over. And and I'm not saying the whole team, because I think you look at some guys that played in that game defensively. Some of the blitzes last night, yesterday were some of the best blitzes we've seen. I mean, Kalen Deloach, Jamie Robinson, some of those guys looked like they were shot out of a cannon on some of those blitzes. They, they were much better timed. Um, you know, offensively, I thought, you know, you had some guys that played really hard and really physically. But there were enough guys who either didn't get lined up right or jogging or not running routes, you know, full <laughs> speed. You know, some of that stuff that you were so mad about is, you know, some isolated incidents. But what I what I said to, you know, one of the per- people I was talking to last week was, you know, I said, I wonder if just getting a win will kind of reinvigorate them a little bit. So if, as long yeah. as you take, take care of business against Georgia Tech, you got Miami on deck. I wonder if that kind of gets the juices flowing again. I, I, we don't know if that's going to happen, but I'm, I'm curious what you think. Because to me, that's going to be – this. these next four games aren't going to be whether or not Florida State's good enough to beat any of these teams. It's whether or not they can kind of recapture that spirit and, and, and get sharp again, I think. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's important to not, like, overlook the psychology of what the scoreboard ended up saying. It's really funny as an athlete, um, as silly as it seems, you can dominate a game and win like 20 to 7. And a week later, when you look back at that game, it won't feel like the domination that it was because of the score. Right. And then you can 
you know, boat race a team in on the scoreboard, 47 to whatever yesterday's game was. And you'll know that, th- but that game will have a more positive effect on you because when you look back on it, you won't remember the mistakes. You won't remember the this and that and the fact that you probably should have won 100 to nothing. You'll just look at it and go, there's a there's a 600 yard offense, you know, uh, you know, 40 point win. Um, yeah, 650 yards, you know, and that's the way you'll look back on it. Defensively, you'll look back on it and go, we gave up two first downs out of 13, you know, um, and, and we gave up a score that really wasn't even us because the offense, you know, turned the ball over and, and they ran it back. So, um, so yeah, I, I agree with you totally coming off of the, the, just the absolute, gauntlet that we just came through with those three games it makes sense to have a flat game against a team that you know no matter what we do today the scoreboard's going to be in our favor right it makes sense that there's a little bit of that you'd um, prefer it not to be there you but prefer, you, you don't want under- it. and that's yeah. that's the yeah. thing that i'm trying to say like hey I, it doesn't didn't look great I'm not saying we are overlooked the fact that we got a win. I'm not saying that the psychology of the scoreboard won't be effective because it will. I'm just saying I was expecting a lot coming off of a bye, even with those three losses. I just thought that they would want, I honestly, I thought they would want to score a hundred and they probably did, but it just, it wasn't there. You know, Um, it just, like I said, I, and I've said this before, there were games during my career where I knew I was going to need something from the fans. I was going to need a boost from this, from the stadium. The vibe in the stadium was going to have to be right. Whenever Duke came in and the old Wake Forest, not the Wake Forest as we know it now, whenever those two teams came in, it was like we watched film all week. And I was going to beat this guy when I was a freshman in high school and I'm going against him now. And I'm a junior in college and I've been going against, and last week I just went against Ed Reed and Sean Taylor. Like I'm really not worried about a Duke defensive back after I'm coming off of that game. And so I would know as much as I try to tell myself, Hey, you got to get up. You got to get up. You got to get up. Like I would need something from the fans. And so I'm sure they walked into that stadium and it was dead. It was it got, dead out there. Yeah, and it got better. Yeah. A couple of yeah. comments, a couple of people in the chat have said, like, you know, it wasn't yeah. that bad. It did get better. It was just a late arriving crowd, especially the students. But a lot, you know, it, by the time you got into, well into the first quarter, it was a decent crowd for a Georgia Tech noon game after okay. three straight losses. But Okay. I was, we were watching. I mean, on the it, watch along, I'm watching on mute. And when they showed the stands, right. it looked dead. I, the sound might have, it, it might, you know, they, they may have got pretty lively, but just the views of the stadium look, look like, um, it looked like we played. <laughs> it just looked lackluster. Um, so, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, so I want to get to Z Chan's question. Um, yeah. Ben, if you could bring that back up. Uh, so, uh, Zach, thanks, Zach. Appreciate it. Evening, gents. His question is any insight into what, Coach Mike Norvell, Mike Norvell does differently in the red zone, and why can't we just continue to do what got us down the field? What am I missing? So this is, um, man, this is like the topic for Florida State fans. And, it, you know, look, this isn't new. The reason what the reason it set everybody off 
I think on Saturday is because it's been going on. You know, this they have been bad. They have been struggling in the red zone for mo- most of the season. Uh, and they've had, you know, part of it was the kicking issues. Um, you know, I think part of it is, you know, whether it's not feeling like you could run, uh, you know, when you're out down there and if you got this beautiful weapon in Johnny Wilson, that I think, you know, they sometimes you can get enamored with. And so there's a lot of factors to this, but the one thing I might, you know, one thing I wanted to throw out to you because it's, it's my prevailing theory is I don't believe that Mike Norvell gets in the goal line and decides, okay, now I'm going to show off how fancy I can be. Like, I don't think that's his thought process. I think his thought process is what's the most, what gives us the best chances to score here? And Mm -hmm. I think, for example, running the Wildcat, I don't think a Wildcat is a cute play. I think it is, hey, if I get Jordan out of the backfield, now we've got numbers. And I, I'm, I'm, if Jordan's back there, he's just going to give it to the running back. If I get him out of the backfield, that gets one defender out of the box, and now he can run, and, and they've been successful with Wildcat in the, bat, in the past. Where things went wrong was the snap wasn't good, and you got a running back who I'm sure in his mind is thinking, bad snap, I've got to catch it and keep going because i got to, I got to hurry because i got to make this play that's threw off the timing. And instead of thinking – I just have to catch this thing. And even if I eat three yards, then I need to eat three yards, but I can't put the ball on the ground. So that's a mistake. And maybe it's a mistake in preparation, like when you're coaching and you can offer some insight, like do coaches when they install or when they talk about a play like that, is it conveyed to the player? Look, man, this is the play, but if anything goes wrong, you have to make sure you could control the ball. Or do you assume that a guy who's been in college for three years knows that going in and you don't have to, to, to coach that. But to me, that wasn't a cute play. It's no. a, it's a smart play. It's just, it was a bad snap and the running back just wasn't thinking clearly. I, that was my theory. No, that, that particular call was, there was nothing wrong with that call. Um, that was a good call. Um, and the snap wasn't great, but I didn't even think the snap was that bad, but that's the, the, the argument against that call is, you put a guy to handle the ball who doesn't handle the ball on every snap. For you sure. Know? Um, and so that, that's what happens when you get a slightly bad, bad um, snap. I think the thing that needs to be talked about or explored is um, us as fans, we forget that these coaches are with these players and, and evaluating them consistently 14 to 16 hours a day every single day even over the summer and so they have information about a play or a scheme or a technique that we could never in our wildest dreams understand or know they know things that they've seen they've tried things they've talked to guys they have conversations so when you're seeing these calls you're seeing the best version of what they feel we can do based on the information they have saying all that is why don't we just run the same running play that we run from the 20 to 20. That is the reason for that answer from the 20 to the 20. The math is totally different because you have a vertical threat and we, we tend to stay in the 11 personnel So that means we have three to four vertical threats on every play. Once you get inside the 20, you now can eliminate 
the vertical threat of your offense. So now you have to threaten them horizontally. And so because of that, you can't run the same run plays that you run from the 20 to 20. The math just isn't correct. And the reason why the math isn't correct, the teams that are um, good and efficient on running the ball, let's just say inside the 10, it's because they have the personnel that inside the 10 can win not only one-on-ones, but sometimes a two-on-one, and that guy's just so much better that he he can take on a block and a half on a run play. Mm -hmm. Say we're running power, I'm a down-blocking tackle, I can block, I can down block the tackle and climb up to a, a backer. That would be what I would consider getting one and a half. And uh, when you have the personnel to do that, then you can run a run play versus a six man box. So now if I send three wide receivers out there, but they leave eight in here, I can still block all the guys that are in here or at least get a piece of them so that right. we can fall forward into the end zone. What the coaches are telling us with their play calls uh, you know, down there is that we do not have the personnel. And I agree with them 100%. <laughs> we do not have the personnel to line up right. and run the run play when you know we're going to run the run play. Right. Whatever run play that is, we just don't have it. And that's why you see uh, what people are calling getting cute, what I call trying to gain an advantage, a numbers advantage, and that's all they're doing. You you see the stuff that they do with Micah down there. It's really good stuff. Hell, Micah probably got in on one right. of those. Those like people are mad. Right? People are people are mad about the jet sweep, and it's like he sc- yeah. probably scored. A touchdown he probably that scored, and that was actually a very good play based on the box. You know, when you look at the box, you either have to make one block or you have to make seven blocks. <laughs> You tell me what you would do. You you do you trust an eighteen to twenty two two year old kid, seven of them to make seven perfect blocks, or just this one kid out here? And I have a guy with the ball who can make a guy miss and fall in. So you know, so that's that's the thing you have to understand, and that's why I will say there is a a, a gripe or a positive um, potential gripe with uh, the you know throwing the fade to Johnny more often down there because that is, that's an advantage that no matter right. what, even I've, I've say this all the time. Obviously my kid is also six, seven, that space cannot be guarded. It doesn't matter. You can send all 11 guys out there. None of them are six, seven, and none of them have 40 inch verticals. So even if you take your best 11 quarterbacks and you put them out there on Johnny, he still occupies space that can't be guarded. So I will say that yeah. the fans at least do have a gripe of a, a, um, a potential gripe with the amount of, you know, uh, it, maybe you know jump balls that are thrown thrown to Johnny down there. Right. But I would and say I, other than that, the uh, the problem is not necessarily the play calling; it's more the execution. The toss in the LSU game, I will I will go to my grave saying I do not have a problem. I actually talk with some very high-level coordinators, um, including an NFL coordinator, about that specific play. And all of them have said, if that's my best play, I'm calling that play. I'm expecting a guy to be able to catch a a, a three-foot right. toss coming from a quarterback. This guy's a world-class athlete. 
this you should be able to you should be able to catch that toss. So yeah, and the, and, the, and where I'll go with you on the 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 fades to Johnny. The other part of it is, and I and I understand where fans get frustrated is, in general, because they they have a lot of wide receivers that can be kind of interchangeable, which is a good thing, right? And, mm-hmm. and you could yeah. talk about this better than anybody, but yeah, there's a lot of wide receivers who only know one position, whether it's because they aren't you know, bright enough conceptually to figure out all the different combinations or they, you know, haven't played enough or they don't have enough, the varied skills, but, but they have receivers that they feel like they can put, they feel like they can put Micah in the slot or put him out wide. They feel Mm -hmm. like they can move different receivers around into different spots. So because of that, sometimes I feel like they've ended up with not going to Johnny because he just didn't end up being in the spot in for the, you know what I'm saying? And yeah. I think, and that, that would be a criticism for me and I'm not in their meeting rooms. You're, we're not in their meeting rooms. We don't know, but it feels like they sometimes treat that area like they do the rest of the field. And it feels like maybe when you get down there, no, it's gotta be Johnny. Like that has yeah. to be Johnny. So, so I'd agree with you there on the, what and you're that, saying that, that, on this though yeah. also, um, because this is the other thing that uh, I think a smart football person would also say, well, heck, you can't just always throw a fade. Right. Like they try to throw a fade. The really, really good coaches, and this will sound funny to say right now because I know Jimbo doesn't seem to be a great coach right now because <laughs> of what they're going through. Right. But I will tell you, the, the I, I have consistently used the Kelvin Benjamin National Championship catch that he made in the back of the end zone as an example of a way to get a fade ball that's not a fade. Right. So right. you want to get you can get jump balls in a in a, di- a bunch of different ways. You just have to be really creative as an offensive play caller. There's other ways to get that same fade, but now it's not all the way uh, right. you know 47 yards away from the quarterback. And right. that was the one thing that that Jimbo did in that game and he did consistently with Kelvin he on that specific play, he motioned him slight short motion. I think they went some sort of play action fake, and now um, Jameis, who is a guy who should be able to throw a, a fade, you know, blah blah blah, you know, because of personnel, they still were a, they still made a concession and said, hey, we'll take the easier throw, and it was more of like a slant or a post in right. the back of the end zone, but it, it ends up being the same catch. It's a it's a fade ball, so. There's different ways to do it. It doesn't have to just right. be a fade. There's different ways to throw jump balls, and right. you just have to be, uh, you know, creative as an offensive play caller. Because a lot of times, you know, people are expecting, obviously expecting, uh, the the fade down there. So, so you were going to ask a question. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, we'll, and we'll touch on some other stuff as well. I know people, there's other things people want to talk about, but the last thing I want to touch about with this is because I think the way we're looking at this situation is reversed. Like the way fans and media are looking at this situation as, okay, your offense is great between the twenties and it has been great really yeah. for the most yeah. of the season. Great between the twenties. Why can't you just do that inside the tens inside the 10 or the 15 or the five? If you look at it the other way and say down there is kind of, you are what you are. Like mm-hmm. down there, that's really about what you are because you can't scheme it to, to any great degree. Like you do. So to me, how about turning it around and saying, man, how great of a job is this coaching staff and these players doing between the twenties with what they have? Because since these guys got here, since Alex Atkins and Mike Norvell got here, 
and before it was Kenny Dillingham, but but those those guys got here. Yeah, their running backs, Trayshawn Ward, who was a walk on, um, Lawrence Tofilly is a nice back. Trey Benson, who didn't really play at Oregon, they all average over six yards of carry. The kid uh, Jay Sean Corbin averages over six yards of carry. Since they've been here, all these backs average six, seven yards of carry, and they're not necessarily all Dalvin Cook. Correct. And yeah. you don't have it. And this offensive line is not the, There's the not hogs. A single yeah. draft pick among among us, you know. <laughs> right? So I think you really just nailed something, man. Yeah. Like that is a great, 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 great point. It's when you get down in there, you lose the advantage of space. Between the 20s, you have the when you're backed up, you don't have the advantage of space. If you get sacked back here, we lose field position or we give up a safety. But once we get to the 20, to all the way down to the other 20, we have the advantage of space, and I can scheme to take advantage of that space both horizontally, horizontally and vertically. You lose that advantage, and when you lose that advantage, now your personnel becomes your advantage. And we and, and I think it's a perfect exploitation of the 11 guys that we have out there that when we lose that space, it tells you exactly why the, you know, and this is sort of a segue uh, to Michael coming on later, is this is why the recruiting has to be better because you have to bring in better guys because when you get down there, you lose the advantage of space and your people have to just be better. They have to win one-on-ones and sometimes two-on-ones. And that's the, you know, uh, that, that's, that's a, that was perfectly put by you. Uh, that's exactly, that's exactly what the issue is with this team in the red zone. It's not scheme. It's execution based on the players that we have. It's just tougher down there. And you know, it, it's it funny tougher because you don't have the space. You don't have the Norvell. advantage. Norvell made a comment a couple weeks ago. He made a comment about stressing to the players the need to finish those long plays, which is basically telling you, yeah, those those we can't get pushed out at the two yard line because it's going to be hard to get in there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. you know, Nick Saban may not be as worried about it with 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 his good teams, or you know, Harbaugh might not be as worried about you know the the great teams. Mm-hmm. That's fine, man. We'll just punch it in. It's like it's like a tapping in a a one footer in golf, Correct. you know. But for Florida State, man, they're staring at a you know downhill winding fifteen foot putt. You know when they get there's down a lot, the three or four yard line, there's a lot more factors that are tougher for them. You know, all of a sudden, like that lie means something. Where is it? Is it in the friends or is it? You know, because. <laughs> The, and it's because of, you know, and not to put too much on just um, the, the, the offensive line, but it's those those five guys, you know. If those five guys can get a push, then I can call any play. But I don't have the advantage of space anymore. So now even getting a push with those five, because you're right, man, those backs, they've been phenomenal. I mean, they've done a really good job. And, I you know, I, I even felt like yesterday – um, you know, Trey was going to have 200 yards easy right. after the first carry. I started saying, "Oh, this is a 200-yard day for him." Um, so and that's again, what... if you can see that as a coach, you can see the guy getting chunk after chunk, 
and you still don't feel really comfortable with running it with him down there, that I'm telling you guys, there he's telling you something. I, I'd like to look back and see how many of those carries Trey got down there in the in the red zone. It felt like not very many. Right. So maybe this is an indictment on on uh, on Norvell, and it might be what you're saying is that they treat twenty the inside the twenty as just another possession. I thought, based on what I heard from practice, I really thought that there was a concerted effort to change that. Like well, that, that they were going to have a, a a legit red zone plan. That when they got in the red zone, it was just you were going to see it, and right away they had to bang a timeout because they couldn't <laughs> get lined up. Well, all right, and two then things. They went back out there after a timeout, and then they had to bang <laughs> another timeout. And I went, oh, shoot, this isn't quite what I uh, had, had expected. That, that was all disgusting. Game. No question. That was disgusting. That, okay. whole, that whole possession was yeah. unbelievable. I mean, that, you know, those, that sequence, two timeouts and then fumbling and having the fumble return 70 yards is, is an all-timer. <laughs> um, yeah. But I would say, because they, they did practice, they did work on red zone in practice, um, and that's what you know we, re- we reported it last week. But I would say, again, I kind of look at that Georgia Tech game and wonder – you know, is that what they're going to call in the red zone against floor, you know, against Miami, yeah, you know, like, yeah, you know, so, yeah. so there, there could be some stuff of that going on as well, but. Um, I did. And I said that on the, on the broadcast yesterday, yeah. I did say that I thought some of the lack of execution was a result of them working on stuff for later games. That's that, very possible. The plan yeah. that, that Mike came into the game with was we can beat these guys with any, any play call. So we're going to work on some stuff to build it out. You know, you just kind of start a foundation, especially with a buy. You tend to do that as a coach. It's just like, that's your chance to go, okay, I have a little bit of extra time. Is there something that I can troubleshoot for later? Is there going to be a problem that a defense later is going to present to us that Georgia Tech maybe specifically doesn't present this problem? But if we start working on it now, that when that problem is presented two weeks from now, three weeks from now, we've at least started working on the answer so the kids aren't doing it for the first time that game week. So that, that could have been part of it. Um, I'm going to go to, we'll get to some of these questions that people have had here in a minute, but I wanted to um, real quick talk about Miami, man. Like this, this, this rivalry is a rivalry of streaks. It has been that way. I don't know, since the beginning of time, Miami will win six, Florida State will win six, Miami will win four, Florida State will win four, eight. Your time at Florida State was not one of the great streaks for Florida State. (laughs) As you mentioned earlier, though, the dudes on the other side of the ball, like, I mean, that people, some people think that 2001 Miami team might have been the greatest of all time. And, um, you know, I mean, those, those teams were loaded. Um, The first game I covered, hey, headliners and elite headliners, it's Ira here and it's time to talk Shopify. As you remember, a couple of years ago, we wanted to create and sell headlines merch for the best podcast listeners in the world. That's you. But we had no idea where to get started. Now we're selling Yay Sausage shirts and it's so easy. All because we use Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're a startup working out of your man cave or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool you need to grow your business without all the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. You could be selling Don Julio socks from Shopify's in-person point of sale system or offering headliner shirts from Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform. Whatever you need, you're covered. 
Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love most about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up today for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash warchant, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash warchant, all lowercase, and they'll help you grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Go to shopify.com slash warchant. You know, when I came here full-time was the 2002 game, which was, to me, I'll say this, that locker room in 2002, that was back when we used to be able to come in the locker room after the games. Yeah, yeah. And uh, going going into that locker room in the Orange Bowl after you guys just, I mean, you guys ran for like, Greg ran for 200 yards, I think, by himself. Yeah, I think we had 300. Yeah, I think it was a team that ran for 300. Uh, team. Yeah. Just kind of physically – I thought manhandled Miami. They end up coming back and in the, the win, that's the wide left and all that. But when we went in that locker room, man, I don't think I've ever seen a locker room like that. Like you guys looked just, it was almost like, I don't know, man, it's hard to even explain. Like you guys were just, there was nothing, like everybody was just quiet. It was dead quiet and guys were yeah. like exhausted. Um, what are some of your memories from, you know, just the, and again, you, you guys, yeah, uh, you guys, you I, guys had a tough go. It was the it was the, kind of the end of the Bowden dynasty, and Miami was, you know, really really loaded. I remembered uh, the I, the word that keeps coming to my mind is like dejected, right? Like that was it, it was um, it was uh, so in, incredible to uh, be a part of a a the, that that rivalry and to be a part because the first one was a bloodbath that was the the team that you're talking about that right. probably the greatest college football team of all time and uh, they came to Tallahassee and just uh you know stomped us but then the next year was the year you're talking about right. and I just the first year I didn't feel like the honor of being a part of the rivalry because it didn't feel like a rivalry they were so much <laughs> right. better than us right. And but everybody that, else. Yeah. But that year, I just remembered that feeling of, oh, my gosh, I cannot believe I'm a part of a wide left. I mean, I was a kid, you know, you know, that was, you know, watching those those games. And and um, it's part of what what made me fall in love uh, with Florida State. And then to be a part of one and then to be on the losing side, like I said, I think dejected is the best way that I can explain it. It was, um, uh, I, I, you just, you almost felt like the season was over to be honest, you know, and that was early in the season, I believe. Um, I just remembered feeling like, ah, man, the season's over. You know, how do we go to practice next week? You know, it was, we did everything that we could do to win that game. You know, how can we continue playing? How can we, um, how can we keep going, man? Um, yeah, that, that, that was a, that was a, that one was bad. And then honestly, very quickly though, I can remember my, you know, brain sort of switched to, um, being, uh, fearful or scared or wanting to take care of, uh, Xavier. 
Betvia. Yeah. yeah. That was like, you know, at first you're, so you're, you're feeling sorry for yourself for 10, 15 minutes. Once the chaos of the coming off the field, I think they stormed the field that game, you know, you come off and you're in the locker room. And like you said, you're just laid out with like just no inner energy, just nothing left to give. You don't want to, you don't want to do anything. You don't want to get undressed. You don't want to go again. You don't want to think about next week or anything. And then your brain switches to like, oh man, like there's someone else that has it worse than me. Right. Like there's somebody that missed that kick, like a human being that missed that kick. And there's going to be people calling for his head. Yeah. And, that uh, and that was, that. that's what I remembered that my, you know, sort of my switch flipping from like, whoa, is me to like, okay, where's he at? Let's go show him some love. Um, you know, because that, that's a, that's a tough one for him. So, so going into this game, and I just want to get your perspective on it. Miami obviously is, you know, they're, they're down right now, new coaching staff. He's Mario Cristobal is trying to get his program in order. He's trying to, uh, kind of create his culture. Doesn't seem to be going great. They've also had a lot of injuries this past game. The quarterback was hurt. So, you know, they, they, they scored, they win with 12 points, I think in double overtime, um, but it's still Florida State, Miami, right? Like, like what, what do you, what if you were talking to Florida State, Florida State's players this week, like what kind of things would you talk about uh, going into this game? You know, I, I think, I think I would definitely impress to them that this game needs to take on a history and a life of its own. This game is not about what Miami has been or what Miami is going to be. This game is not about who we are today or who we're going to be. Like, you have to eliminate everything, you know, in terms of thinking that, oh, well, they've lost this game and this game or they got beat at home by this team or this team. You cannot try and project their, you know, previous performance as uh, sort of what they're what you're gonna see on Saturday, and I would continually show them the history of this game. You know, I probably once a day I would probably have a clip or two of a historic moment in this game, and I would tell stories. You know, I would or I'd have guys in, and I would tell stories. Um, you know, maybe not like oh, everyone sit around, and gather around for a story, but what I mean by tell stories is. I would make sure that they knew and understood that very good Florida state teams have lost to not very good Miami teams and, and vice, vice versa. versa. Right. That though your records don't, you know, I, I always, you know, we always make fun of like the cliche, throw the record books out of the, right, uh, right, right. out the window when the rivalries play. But, but I would try to tell that story that man, you've got to whoop the man across from you. Um, and you've got to do it consistently because they are not going to lay down the way that they may lay down in pre may or may have laid down in previous games. Right. Um, you know, like, yeah, because yeah, this game, yeah. game is different. This game is different. Those guys are different. Um, you will see a different team than what you're going to be watching on, on film. I, I, I firmly believe that I, 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 I haven't watched Miami at all this year, but from what I've heard, it's just abysmal. <laughs> it's right. pretty bad. 
And I do not expect to see that Saturday at all. I think we're going to see a very, very spirited performance. I'm not saying they're going to be good, but I expect to see a very spirited performance. And that's just what I've come to expect from, uh, from, from UM. Hey Ben, if we can get some of those, uh, I know there was a couple more, uh, comments, contributions, and maybe a few more questions we'll get to. And then we're going to bring in Michael Langston to talk about recruiting. FSU had a big recruiting weekend this well this uh, weekend as well. Um, uh, Mav says, uh, Mike's been killing it with running backs since Memphis. Kenneth Gainwell, Antonio Gibson, Daryl Henderson, Tony Pollard, all NFL running backs from the Norvell tree. Yeah, man, there's no doubt. I mean, that's, 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 that was kind of what he built in his whole, you know, the, 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 phrase he's got an offense built for playmakers you know all those guys didn't even play running back I mean like he'd play him at wide receiver it was just getting guys the ball um you know Dominic I know you've gone back and watched Memphis and those offenses yeah, yeah. But, I mean he, he's clearly got an eye for talent and he uses the versatility of running backs really well I it's it's incredible I it's um he's got a great mind for it a great eye for it and he does a phenomenal job matter of fact they started the game in a set that he loved at Memphis and the Memphis games that I, the, the Memphis games that I broke down, which is two backs, a tight end, but he split. And then, um, and then two wideouts. And he started the game uh, th- this week with that. And we hadn't seen that yet mm. this year. And uh, I was like, okay. And that's what sort of got me in the mind frame of thinking that that's what he potentially used the bye week for getting getting back to some stuff that maybe he wants to do long-term with this group. Um, and yeah, he just, he, he does a great job. And the games, like I said, there, the games that I watched the guys he had, they were so versatile, the backs that he had, you know, Tony Pollard, one of them um, they're so versatile and he loves, and he uses them in such a good way that he, as a defense, it's just hell to deal with because you don't know, what that guy's going to do. He can take on so many different roles and, and Mike does a, a really good job with, uh, with doing that. So it's good that we've got the backs that we've got. And, you know, uh, I think he's going to continue to do that. FSU fan 1993's got jokes. Thanks for the contribution. He, he heard Destin Hill, Bigfoot, Loch Ness and Mantateo's girlfriend are all <laughs> guarding Miami's ACC championship. That elusive ACC championship. I don't know if you remember D Rod. They had uh, when they joined the conference, yeah, almost twenty years ago. They put out these shirts at All Canes Conference, um, and they have uh, still not won an they ACC haven't won one football championship. That's tough. Which is crazy, man. When you think about where they were when you were in college and when you played mm-hmm. Miami, and the dudes they had on that team, and to think they've been in this conference now for almost twenty years and have not won the conference, and they're in the crappy um, division. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. It doesn't make doesn't make any sense. And they used to just run that conference they were in. Um, so it totally yeah. made sense for them to come over. And uh, it just has, hasn't worked out. The timing of it has just been crazy. Uh, and there was one more question. Hey, Ben, there's somebody else that had a contribution. I think it was $10 contribution, which I appreciate. Um, asking one more thing about the red zone. Oh, there was also FSU 1993. Sorry if it was already addressed. Got here late. D-Rob, if you could talk about the red zone drives. If we can run against Clemson, why not just run it right at them in the red zone? FSU fan, 1993, watch this again. Go rewind from like maybe the 10-minute mark to about the 25, 30-minute mark. And we really – I thought 
D-Rob gave a great um, explanation of why it's different. Um, and, you know, it's not like Florida State was running it right down Clemson's throats, especially down like in the red zone. I mean, it was a lot of – Florida State's best running comes between the 20s. And, and D, if you go back and watch it, D-Rob talks a, a lot about that and why they've been so successful. Um, at yes, that. sir. And hit that like and subscribe, people. Yes. Make sure we do that. Thanks, man. And um, so you'll be uh, – will you be doing the watch along for the Miami game? Will you, you'll be, yes, sir. Yes, right, sir. Awesome, man. That's uh, Hopefully you're going to see a crisper performance because like we talked about, you know, something that we talked about earlier is I, I really don't think – we can take what happened one week and just apply it to the next week. I mean, just like you said, Miami is not going to look like they looked like for the last several weeks. Yeah. I, th- I think Florida State is probably not going to look like they've looked like on Saturday. Um, and I think that would be a good thing for them to point out to the Florida State players is, look, man, look at you guys yesterday. You know, Miami's probably looking at you guys and saying like that you didn't look very sharp. You know, I mean, I, I really think both of these teams uh, are going to play a lot better Saturday. The question is, you know, we don't know who's available for Miami. I mean, they're, they've had a lot of injuries. They've had a lot of injuries on the offensive line and uh, their quarterback is, um, you know, Tyler Van Dyke has been out. Mario Cristobal was asked about Van Dyke after the game yesterday. They went with Jake Garcia and uh, Jake Garcia was okay. Wasn't as terrible as he was the week before, but wasn't great. And uh, Cristobal was noncommittal about whether or not Tyler Van Dyke will be back this week. Um, said he's getting better, uh, but he couldn't give a declaration on whether or not he'll be back. There was a report last week he'd miss the Florida State game, um, but we don't know. Uh, Florida man in Texas, thanks for your uh, contribution, man. Uh, twist of fate. This is uh, his scenario. Fitzgerald kicks the game-winning field goal and breaks the rock at down at Hard Rock. Hey, man. <laughs> That's one thing that's, you know, and I'm going to mention my three, two, one column because I've mentioned it when he wasn't playing well, but I think, man, I think he's figured it out, man. He looks like, I feel like the last few weeks, Fitzgerald has, he's changed his approach and that, that can make a big difference, you know, right for them in the red zone as well. Cause I think that part of what kind of affected Norvell, some of the play calling in the red zone mm-hmm. was earlier this year was the lack of confidence in the kicker. So yeah, if he's got yeah. that figured out, it would be a big deal. Yeah, I think it looked, they look, I felt like they're confident in him and he looked confident. Um, you know, those are, you know, those are pretty pre- pressureless kicks. Yeah. So, you know, um, next week, um, you know, will be different because that, that I, no matter who you are, you're a kicker at Florida State, you know, you know the history of those kicks. And so even if we're up three scores, those, those will still be pressure kicks, I, I can tell you. Um, for for whoever kicks, anytime you kick against UM, you know uh, you know it, you know there's pressure. So um, yeah, I I I, it, I tell you, it looks better to me. Um, yeah, I'm he's, not he's, a kicking expert or anything, but I just saw a level of confidence that I felt like I didn't see early on. Yeah, he's look and he's looked better in practice too. But yeah, to your point, yeah, it'll be a little bit different down there against Miami in a night game. Um, the one more thing I want to bring up because as we're waiting for Michael to join us is um, the play you talked about before. And I think you talked about during the live show, probably too. Jordan Travis running that dude down and also Tofili running that dude down. Um, I remember, and you'll, I don't know if you remember Mickey saying this or not, you might not have heard it. He said to the media, 
but it was they they had a run there where Booker and Ricks both had turnovers that turned into touchdowns. Like I think Jaquel Jackson had one from Maryland. There was like one or two, like within a couple weeks span, there was like turnovers that turned into or either fumbles or interceptions that ended up being touchdowns. And Booker and 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 Ricks were both the guys back there and couldn't make the play to. And I remember Mickey talking to the media, and he said, uh, "I've got a moth flying in my yeah, in my office. Yeah, this is crazy. <laughs> Go away." Anyway, dude, I don't do bugs, D. Rob. I don't do bugs. Uh, if Tom Lang sees this, he'll be proud of me because he's seen me run down the hall when a, when a bug comes out. Uh, not a moth, but like a wasp okay. or a bee, yeah, dude. It's over. Yeah. A moth, I'm, I'm good. You'll be okay I'm with not, the moth? I'm not okay. worried about that moth. <laughs> okay, but cool. um, but anyway, Mickey had the great line in the post game. He said, he's like, I, I don't mind if you're going to turn it over, but could it maybe just come to tackling drills? So we yeah. can help you get learn at to least. Yeah, just we <laughs> uh-huh. can turn it over. That's fine, but just give us a chance yeah. to play defense. Uh-huh. Yeah, seeing that effort from from Jordan. I mean, that's, I, that's, that's good. Stuff, it's right? it's amazing, man. It, it's I I want to play with that guy. Like that's the right. guy I want to. I want to be on his team. I want to coach him. I want to play with him. Whatever it is, because that guy. That's the type of guy you you want to be. Yeah, like that's that's so cool to see. Um, and, you know, give us a chance as a defense. Just give us a chance to stop. You know, give them a chance. Give us a chance to get put, get a field goal. Hell, may, we can maybe turn it back over and give it back right. to you on offense. I think that that's, that should, shows a lot. And it, does, it doesn't surprise me. Like, that's that's the type of guy he would do that. Um, and, uh, man, I – yeah, I, I love seeing that. I, You know, those guys, you know, when they do that, it, it, it means a lot to a, to a defensive player. To uh, you know, save us some points because those points they go to us. You know, if, if they score <laughs> right. seven right there. Um, right. You know, those are going to be added to our average. You know, they go <laughs> on us, but that's not us. You know, and so uh, yeah. I, but I do remember Mickey was used to be very serious about like when you turn it over, like you better get them to the ground, like let us play defense. And he didn't even care if it's like on the one. You know. If we if we stop them up there, that moth is on. He wants the smoke, D Rob. He really he wants... he's really serious about getting. <laughs> he's 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 taunting me now. Get the hell out of here! Oh, anyway. shoot. My um, okay. Uh, we lose you. Oh, there we go. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, thanks, man. Thanks, D Rob. Oh, I think there was one more comment, real quick. I want to get that one. Um, Tom Warner, sorry guys. Uh, oh, the Bills are playing. Uh, I'll burn one for you. <laughs> question. Thanks, uh, Tom. There was a question last week on a headline. Somebody was asking me something about uh, smoking weed for some reason. They 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 want to know whether or not I smoke marijuana, D-Rob. And, uh, oh. <laughs> uh, so share that. But I think Michael's waiting to come in, man. Thanks so much, Dominic. There's the guy. Uh, D-Rob, what's going on, man? What's your uh, what, what's what's the news of the day? What's Feels the good. That's been good. It's been pretty positive. A uh, couple was, couple five stars on campus, right? I was out there all day, uh, going back and forth from places, but it was really good, really positive. Obviously, I see a lot of players coming in and out. You could see just on a win. What it, I mean, you you've experienced that, D Rob. When you win, you could see a confidence of business. Like, hey, we did what we were supposed to do. Now let's do it. Let's keep it going. So there was a lot of positive vibes around there. Obviously, recruits were really good. 
come across very positive. Five-star Hakeem Williams was there. Five-star running back Cedric uh, Baxter was there. You could really just feel like these these recruits know that they're close, and they are close. If you look yeah. at the team and the overall roster, what they look like, there's still there's still things to clean up. Um, whether it's roster or stuff you can do coaching wise, but they are close. And, and I think a lot of recruits sense that. Hey, Ira, uh, that's another important thing too. And I, mean, I talked about earlier, the psychology of the scoreboard, right. what it looks like as opposed to what it really was right. as those recruits are driving back home or flying home, if they're on trips or whatever, when they pull up their phone and whatever, and they see on Twitter or they see on ESPN, that score pops up, there's a different feel than if that score is, like I said earlier, 20 to mm-hmm. seven. Like that's actually a valuable thing too. Or when you're walking around the facility, you know, after the win and you're dapping guys up and it's like, yeah, we scored 40 tonight. Like that's what we do here. As yeah. opposed to if you, you sneak out a win or even if you have a dominant win, but you only put up 20 up against a bad team, those things are important. Like it, it's, it, it's all these little things that sort of add up. So I, I, I thought I'd, I'd mention that because I, I mentioned yeah. it earlier. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because I, I wondered during the game, it's some of the sloppiness, whether or not, you know, those guys would see that and kind of be like, man, what's going on? This You know, these guys aren't. But I think you're, you might be right. I mean, they may look at it more from the big picture of, you know, the overall score. Um, and so – and Michael, we've already put up a couple of your stories. We put up the story uh-huh. with um, Cedric Baxter and, and also right. uh, the story with uh, Edwin Joseph, uh, four-star right. wide receiver, defensive back. And D-Rob, yeah. you can hang around for a little bit with us or you can bail. It's it's totally your call. I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to go watch All right, the man. game. Well, we appreciate it, dude. Hey, um, so for those of, for people that watch this tonight, again, I encourage you to watch the, the live watch-alongs that D-Rob does Absolutely. with – with um, Tom Lang and Aslan helps out yes. and uh, Jeff Cameron sometimes and Gene and uh, they do a great job. If you don't want to listen to those, I'm not going to say it. If you don't listen to those <laughs> ACC announcers, um, well, this week it'll be ABC as well. They're terrible. You're... I'll say it. <laughs> They're awful. Put them on mute. Put them on mute. Right. Put us on. I promise you, you'll enjoy the game a hundred times more than the crap that they're putting out there. That's it's right. incredible. I'm breaking down stuff. I'm talking real football and, um, break it, and, and break not it. the crap that they're they're talking about. Yeah. So and I and I chime in too. Like, wouldn't you rather hear from a guy that played at FSU, knows what about FSU, than a guy that doesn't know FSU except for the notes he reads? I mean, that show, I've watched it. I watched it a lot. I watched this stuff. Uh, y'all show every time, and it, guys, it's a great breakdown. I know football. I know guys that know football. You know. Watch the show. You will not be disappointed. And also, yeah, and if you great, and, it, and if you go to the game, and if you you know, I don't know how many FSU fans are going to be down there. But if you don't go to the game, if you if you or if you go to the game, but you want to watch it later, you can go back and watch it because that's what I'll do sometimes. Is I want to go back and watch yeah. to see what you guys said in this situation or when this happened um, to get your thoughts on. It. So thanks, Dominic. Man, enjoy yeah, the game. That's, that's, that's actually probably the best way to consume it. Is is not live during the game. I probably shouldn't say that because I no, probably stop, should be stop talking. Ben, <laughs> cut him I off. Do, cut I off do, his mic, Ben. <laughs> I do want to point out though that when you know uh, a lot of the stuff that I'm talking about are things that you'll you'd like to sort of rewind and go, oh, that's what he's talking about. This coverage, 
and they did do that. It went, you know, Mike Norvell did put them in empty on third down multiple times. Um, and now you can rewind that and look back and see it. So it's good to consume it live because it's way better than the, the crap that they're putting on, <laughs> on the ACC network. But it's also good to go back and listen to it um, and watch it so that you can rewind stuff and kind of see, dig a little deeper into the game if, if, if you're that, that yeah. level of a uh, fan. And as our Wilmer said, you uh, you'll you'll break out the whiteboard on occasion. I will and draw, draw it up a little bit. So, yeah. Well, thanks, yeah. man, thanks and uh, thanks to ABC Fine Wine and Spirits for sponsoring us again. We appreciate them. And uh, now we're going to talk about a little bit of uh, recruiting here with Michael. So, yeah. So we already put up the stories, a couple of the stories from uh, from today. Um, right. The I think the big question everybody has. I mean, we'll get to Edwin Joseph also as well, and you know his visit with Hakeem Williams, but right. Everybody wants to know about Cedric Baxter, man. Like, you know, it's, uh, you know, obviously he did not commit to Florida State this weekend. He's still right. committed to Texas. But kind of what was your vibe? People can read the full story at warchant.com. But what was your vibe from uh, Cedric and his visit? Yeah, it was really good because I was kind of, there was certain things I was looking for. If it was still definitely going to be Texas, like the stuff you'd say, like, hey, I had a great time. You know, appreciate all the your hospitality and all that stuff. But it was more like, it's getting stronger. Like it was more like I really, I, I learned more personally about FSU with the way these players are with the coaches and just the stuff that he, he doesn't see because he's really only been on visits where he just sees a game or it's like a couple hours. Um, I think, I think the main thing is like showing a different side of FSU that he hadn't seen. And it feels to me, and it's just my opinion and I'm not saying he's going to FSU. I'm saying it feels like he's looking for a reason to go to FSU, you know? And I think that's kind of where this visit thing started, where that's why he started seeing what FSU's doing and then watched the game and then saw them certainly run all over Clemson with their, their backs and then saw it again this weekend. So I think uh, there's a legitimate shot. Now, um, committee-wise, I don't think he's going to do anything till – Decision wise, until like um, you know, make a final decision to like maybe uh, December after his his team is eliminated from high school playoffs. He even hinted that hey, it's probably a chance that he will be back there, which even speaks to kind of what I'm talking about reasons to go to FSU. And uh, and the thing is too, you got to look at you can look at it two ways. You can look at like well, he didn't decommit from Texas, but at the same time. Um, he's talking about coming back for more visits to FSU. And then two, FSU was the team he committed to. FSU was the team that he, at that time, it was a terrible situation, but he committed to him because that's a team he really loves. So if FSU offers everything that Texas offers, it's closer to home. Family can see you play favorite team growing up. So that's probably the process that he's going through right now you know, when he breaks down to everything. But I think there's definitely a legit shot. This thing is building. I thought there was a neat, one of the neat comments in the article. And again, people go to warchant.com and read the whole article. If you're not a subscriber, it's 10 bucks for the whole year. For a Get calendar it. year, 10 bucks right now, you can uh, subscribe to warchant.com. But um, one of the comments he made was, he said it, he liked the fact that when he was like around some of the, the staff and, and players, that they could kind of be goofy and then mm-hmm. when Norvell came around, they didn't like change, change and get all buttoned up. Like they were still yeah. the way they were. The fact that he noticed that to me, because I think some people wonder if this is just a courtesy visit. He loves Florida State, grew up a Florida State fan, but he still knows he's going to go to Texas, but he's just trying to 
you know, just, you know, have a good weekend with an official visit. But for him to notice that, I think that shows that he is looking at it kind of critically, right? Yeah, I think so. I think that's a good point. And I think there was several other points that he said, you know, just certain things he said about, you know, specifically talking about the program's jumps to what he saw, you know, and, and not just just generic stuff where, oh, yeah, they're improving. No, he was specific about, you know, things that he saw and he liked. Obviously, he talked about being around the players, talked about how they're different. And then I think he kind of saw what the culture was like at FSU. They did a really good job of the academic pre- uh, presentation. He did a lot of stuff with, I think, some professors, even the AD. They they took it really seriously. They didn't they didn't kind of – it's not like a side note uh, as far as official visit. I mean, it was a big part of that visit was, uh, you know, the academics presentation. So I think, like I said, I think it's it's really serious. I don't think he's going to want to make a comment on it uh, as far as decision, you know, final line, timeline, whatever – until like until it's actually time to put pen to paper and even told me yeah I'm going to see FSU again whether that's FSU him visiting FSU again or if FSU goes over there does in home stuff like that you know uh building but you can see this kind of like I said building to a point where like you don't take back to back visits unless there's something to it there's some meat to the bone mm-hmm. And there's certainly some meat to the bone. Yes, he committed to Texas for a reason, so he likes them too. But like I said, for some kids, you know, if a school offers everything that the other school you're committed to and it's closer to home and it's your favorite school growing up, that's significant. And um, like I said, uh, I think I think, it, I think they're a significant player. And certainly our Chad Simmons from On3, you reported like, hey, FSU, he did a story on it. Hey, FSU is a threat. It's a major threat. And I, I concur with that based on the feelings and the body language I got today from, from Cedric. I think they're very much a player and very much a legit threat in this race. And it's not a crazy, you know, decision to go to Texas. I mean, if that's no, where he ends up no. going, I mean, they've got obviously the traditional running backs, right? Sarkeesian's a great offensive mind. I mean, there's a lot of things, a ton of NIL opportunities in Texas. Yep. So there's a lot of reasons why he would be attracted there. It's not like, it would be a diss to Florida State to go to Texas. No. Um, no. Tom Ortner asked, "Is um, and I think Briley asked. Um, well, Briley asked if um, is he a spring enrollee? Um, is he definitely signing in December? And do you know if he's an early enrollee or not?" I get the impression he's signing in December. I don't know if he's a spring enrollee. Okay. I want to say no on that because I, I haven't heard that he is. Okay. But I do know that he. I do think his plans are to sign in December. So. I will see if I can check on that, you know, to okay. be 100% on it. But I do know he's signing in December. You know, we kind of talked about that, you know, about seeing FSU before he puts pen to paper or, you know, visiting FSU. He seemed to indicate he's going to come back to FSU. So, um, like I said, before he – I'll just say this, and this is not – like I don't have a pick one way or the other what he's doing. I do think it's building with FSU. But before he committed to FSU – this was kind of what he was doing as far as visiting FSU pretty often, you know, before he actually popped. Um, so um, it is definitely uh, it, it, the stuff is building. And I think, I think it's, I think it's, it's certainly real. And I think FSU knows, you know, they have a shot, but um, at the same time, not to, not to dismount if he does, he doesn't go to FSU. This isn't to, to take away from it, but they do have an extra guy they got in this class and Kaziah Holmes from Penn right. State to transfer. 
So this guy would really be an extra for them, but right. they yeah. want him bad. And, you know, they want him in this class. And it and it also just builds national buzz when you get a five-star player and a guy in your backyard. You know, that's that signifies, too, like people see that you're going the right direction. What I thought was interesting, and I, I found this out, like, last Thursday when I re- you know reported that Norwell was going to see him and then the official visit, he's going to officially visit FSU was. And they told me this, but I – they asked me not to say anything and to let Cedric say it, but Cedric came out today and said, no, I'm not taking any more official visits. So the fact that he took an official visit to FSU and he's not taking any more anywhere else and uh, might not take any more anywhere except for FSU because FSU would be, you know, what, three and a half hours away. So um, that's a mm-hmm. possibility. So I thought that was interesting when I found that out last week, but it's interesting recruitment and he's certainly a, a hell of a player, but um I think people need to remember that that this is an extra, not. Yeah, it would be. Getting... Yeah, it would be. It would be incredible to get him. But you already yeah. have Sam Singleton, four-star yeah. running backs committed. Kaziah Holmes was a four-star running back who started his career at Penn State, transferred in. He's actually already practicing, so you know he's already on the team. So yeah. So Tom Orton asked, uh, "Do you think Baxter?" And we're going to talk about some other recruits here as well. It's not just the Cedric Baxter show, um, but does Baxter want to be? Do you think he's okay with being in a committee approach where Mike Norvell likes to give a bunch of different backs different opportunities, or do you think he needs wants to be the featured back? Um, my comment on that real quick is it's not just that, yes, he does you know, use a committee approach, but he also uses backs in different ways, and I think that might be appealing as well. And then he, he asks for a percentage chance on getting him, putting you on the spot, and then uh, you can pass on that if you want to. It's still early. And then uh, – how you, do you still think uh, Jordan Travis is likely gone in 2023 or, or do you think he, there's a chance he stays? Okay. Yeah. I mean, we, we talked to Cedric about kind of all the different backs they use and he seemed to really like that. He even, uh, even brought up CJ Campbell, which is a fantastic story. If you guys, you know, haven't followed that with CJ being hurt. He really liked that because it shows him like, everyone's a part of the team. Everyone's like, he's just as vital as Lawrence O'Philly or just as valuable as Trey Benson. It's like, when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. He's like, every guy is featured in a different way. And I think that's what Cedric liked is I don't think Cedric has just sold him. He has to get 40 carries or whatnot. I don't think Cedric's ever been that type of player. So I don't think that really bothers him or he has an advantage or whatever. I think it's really just, is the offense the fit for him? Are they featured in the running game? Are they, what are they doing with their backs? What are they doing in preparation? What are they doing the way they scheme it? And I think he's seen all that stuff and that really, and he's loving that. Um, as far as the rest of the question, since uh, it was disappeared off well, there. Well, we're going to move on. We're going to move okay. on. I, I get criticized for asking Norvell too yes. many questions at one yes. time. So, yes. Um, Tom Kirkpatrick and a few other people have asked about DJ Chester. DJ Chester um, recently, I guess a couple hours ago, put out his top right. schools and said he's, I guess, set his commitment date. Um, yeah. 
you know, on the on three recruiting prediction machine, they still have LSU as a huge favorite. Yes. Yes. Is that, is that how you see it? Or do you think Florida state's more of a player than maybe it looks like? Yeah. So I, obviously I've been working, I was at FSU all day and I found that out later and I got home. So when I got home, you know, I hit up my FSU contacts. They feel like, here's the deal. They feel like he commits when he, if he does it Thursday, that it's going to be, uh, they feel leaning towards LSU. That's how they feel. But, they also said I got the impression that DJ is definitely still going to take an official visit to FSU in December. I get the impression that he confirmed that to the staff. So um, I think if I was picking today, I'd pick LSU. I'm not going to make a pick on that general reason because he's going to take an official to FSU. But I think the first decision, if, if it is the first or the last, I think uh, it would probably be LSU. I would lean that way based on what the FSU intel is telling me. And then I wanted to follow up on the because a couple of people in the chat now are talking about the Jordan Travis situation. It's not mm. why we brought you here, Michael, but <laughs> I did want to address it since uh, it was asked about. Yeah, I mean the Jordan Travis situation is going to be interesting because yeah. um, this is kind of this new world where I think if this was 2020 or 2019 or 2018, and Jordan Travis was where he is, he's been in college for six years. Mm. People need to remember that. You know, he's been in college for five, six years, five years. I think this will be a six year if he comes back. You know, some guys don't want to be in college for that long. And, and yep. you know, they're getting older. So I think there's a good chance Jordan would, would look to leave. I do think in a world where Jordan's probably the most profitable player on this team in terms of NIL, like mm-hmm. he can make a living as a quarterback at Florida State and how he's played. So I think that's going to factor into his decision. Like normally guys would say, well, even if I'm a, Fifth round pick, at least I'll go make some money in the NFL. I think he, you know, there's a lot of opportunities for him to make money in college. So we'll see what he does. I will say this: the one thing that I think Mike Norvell and the coaching staff are going to tell Jordan and really speak to him. I don't. They may have already had these conversations, but if you look at Jordan's, if you look at Norvell's quarterbacks through his time as an offensive coordinator or head coach, they the longer that they play, the they they get much better. You know, like the mm-hmm. the their second year as a full time starter. This will be next year will be Jordan's second year as a full time starter. A lot of those quarterbacks took another big jump in that second year as a full time starter. So that's something that I think that they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna preach. Um, yeah, yeah. I had some of my Florida friends. They asked me, "Did Jordan play with Charlie Ward? Because he's been <laughs> there for that long." But no. Um, my thing is, if you would have asked me this question before the year started, I would have said definitely. He's probably gone, you know, probably leaving. That was kind of the intel that I was hearing. But as the season went on and you saw the development, which, by the way, uh, FSU has done a hell of a job these, these two years with him, uh, some of the stuff they worked on. Um, so as as it went on, you saw how productive. Yeah, it's going to be a tough decision. There's there's obstacles you could choose either way. I personally think he's going to come back. That's just my personal opinion. Um, I just feel like. The offense, he, he, he's producing better, and, and he's getting more comfortable, and he's learning more, and he's developing more. And um, I think if I was guess, if I was a prediction man, I would say I could see them having Jordan back, but then also bringing in a young transfer off the transfer portal that's a quarterback, like, say, a freshman or sophomore. I could see them doing something like that. But um, – that's kind of my feelings on it. My feelings is kind of 180 since the start of the year where 
I got the feeling that it was gonna like he right. was gonna leave. leave I think then- I I because I think I think he thought he was gonna have a huge huge year and the team yeah. was gonna have a huge huge year and I kind of wonder if the the midseason struggles kind of have him motivated to want to come back. So we'll see how that plays yeah. out. Yeah, James B. Thanks so much, man. I appreciate. The, yeah. we, we definitely appreciate the uh, contribution. Uh, James B. says, "Great job tonight, guys." Ira, I know you don't get into this debate often, but I'm really curious to know <laughs> how you feel about the uniform com- combination on Saturday. Uh, you as well, Michael, if you want to chime in, okay. and we're gonna, we'll then we'll after that we'll get back to Edwin Joseph and the okay. last couple things about recruiting. Um, yeah, I mean, I tweeted yesterday that I wasn't going to really say a lot about the uniforms because I don't think uh, it's designed. I'm not the target demographic, but <laughs> I will say I did not love it um, in pictures, and I think maybe on TV. I don't know how it looked on TV in pictures. It might it looked it looked okay in pictures, but uh, live I did not like it. I, it didn't look, it looked, I don't know. It just, I did not like it. And I'm not a uniform guy. Like I don't really spend a lot of time worrying about uniforms. Um, but I was not a fan of uh, the way it looked. what did you think, Michael? Yeah. I mean, um, I didn't even know about it until, you know, Warship popped it up and said, Hey, they're changing the uniform. So I've seen a lot of different uniform combinations. I will say what I'd like to I liked it. What I watched on uh, when I, you know, rewatched it on TV, I liked what I saw. I think it looks the best when you have sleeves, like what hmm. uh, what Johnny Wilson had looked really smooth. It connected more with the uniform. I maybe you know I would throw some you know uh, not just all guarded in there. You know, it'd have some you know different colors. But hey, you know what? They never wore the white helmets that I can recall that I've been alive uh, at home. I thought it was pretty cool to have something different. It's not something I, you'd want regularly. I'm a traditional guy. I like the, you know, like the gold helmets, the garnet and gold, uh, all that. But I, I thought it looked really good when the, with the white sleeves for guys like Johnny Wilson. I think Johnny Wilson's, you know, uniform I think looked the best, and that's, that's where a good really point. Shot. Yeah, if you yeah. have the sleeves, it kind of ties it in. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, Eric Angel, thanks a lot, man. He says go Knowles, forty-four to seventeen over my prediction. That. <laughs> that would uh, that would be nice. All right, Edwin Joseph. Yes. Uh, athlete, receiver, defensive back from Chaminade down in South Florida. Um, right. He was here with Hakeem Williams. I guess they played seven on seven together. Um, what, what were some of your thoughts? And again, there's a full story up on that about warchand.com, but if you could share some of your thoughts on uh, him. Yeah, I thought Hakeem was going to take over the interview for me. He kept, he kept coaching uh, Edwin the whole <laughs> uh, when we were talking. Uh, you could tell they're close. Uh, I mean, that was obvious. I felt like it was really positive. I know the RPM says really high Miami, but I, I get the impression there's like other schools that, you know, he's a little higher on. I think FSU is certainly high up there. I think, um, I think there's several other schools like Louisville. He really likes them as well. Obviously with the struggles of Miami, that kind of, I mean, you could tell just the way he talked of kind of what he's looking for in a program. He wants to see the fight and the direction, you know, in, in the, what he's seeing from FSU. I think you see some of that with Louisville too. I think they're five and three, just upset Wake Forest. So, I think that's kind of what he's looking for. So I think production in the season does matter. And, you know, Miami so far has just been, uh, you know, hard to watch sometimes. Uh, so I think that's certainly brought into detention. But I think it was really good. I get the impression, at least from Edwin, that defensive back is kind of what he likes the best. But I think FSU is kind of leaving up him because FSU is like, dude, we will – we love you at both positions. So – and I think the takeaway from that that thing was like – you got the impression that he 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 got to see a different thing with FSU with the vibe and the in the culture and the being around the players 
more than just, um, you know, visiting and staying with the coaches all the time. I think he kind of experienced that and that really jumped up. I think things even more why he said it keeps getting greater and greater when I'm there. So I think that led it a lot to you know, what he's doing. And I think, I think FSU uh, certainly is the team with the momentum, you know, with Edwin right now. But like I said, there's several visits he's going to take to, you know, Louisville and I think somewhere else. And then um, I think he's going to take an official to FSU. He's already told me that will be probably, I thought it was interesting. That was one of the most interesting the points. The moth that he... is back, Michael. The moth is back. Round <laughs> you need three. Extermin- you need exterminator. I do. Believe me, I pay an exterminator. This <laughs> moth snuck in somehow. I'm going to blame but, my um, kids for leaving the door open. But I uh, I was interested that he put the date down of uh, like right before the time you sign in December. So uh, it was like the week before right there. So I thought that was interesting. And the fact, I mean, you're talking about three visits. So that's a lot of visits from a kid in South Florida. So, and you've, and you've, and you've been saying like, there, there's a chance they may have kind of a good one or two big recruiting weekends in December, even after the season ends. Yes. Yeah. It sounds like he might be in one of those. Yeah. And I think they've talked a lot of the, you know, commits into coming, saving their officials for that weekend, you know, in December, because that's a big deal. That's when I think they're going to do something special, which like they did last year, uh, do some special things. So, I think that's uh, you know a big deal as far as uh, just having him around commits. I mean, it's nice to have him around Hakeem, but you want to have him around other guys that maybe he hasn't met so they can kind of see why they picked FSU. So I think that that really uh, has has resonated this weekend with um, with Edwin seeing not only how the players are, but also how the commits are and why they chose FSU. So. I think they're certainly trending up. Uh, they're certainly trending, and they're the team that certainly has the most momentum uh, lately with Evan. So I think it, I think it went really well. Um, I, I really pressed them because I really wanted to know a position. So that was driving me crazy. They kept saying athlete, and I'm like, okay, what do they like you at? Yeah, the best. And so, you know, he finally told me uh, DB's kind of the position, probably. But um, at the same time, FSU will take them either way. But yeah, very positive weekend. All right, we're gonna. I'm sure you're gonna do a recruiting chat this weekend because it's Miami week. Yeah. But real quick, um, is there a, like a recruit that you think this game matters a big deal to? If there's one recruit that you think the Florida State Miami game really is it? Reuben Bain? Or is there anybody out there that you think is like man? It would really help for Florida State if they could win this game. Man, I was like stealing my thunder. I was like he hadn't said the name yet, and then bam, I was oh. the damn thing. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean there. I think it's several guys. I mean. Reuben Bain um, is definitely would be, you know, at the top of my list. I think Damari Brown is another one. Um, Dad played at Miami. Um, Obviously, it's kind of a weird situation. Randy Shannon's on the staff. Randy was his dad's roommate. And then Randy uh, played, uh, obviously played with him. And Randy coached his brother. Brother, So there's connections there. So I think that game could have an impact on, uh, you know, those. If I was picking guys, those would be two guys. And, and certainly guys like Edwin Joseph and even even Hakeem, even though he's not going to go to the game, which I thought was significant. Um, but those it just solidifies what you're doing. But it also, I think the biggest impact from that game is going to be your 2024 guys because that's going to set the tone, good or bad for Mario. I mean, if FSU goes in there, and let's just say somehow FSU gets a significant and comfortable win, that's very bad for Mario. Like you're talking about a guy – that's rearranged it, had to rearrange his roster. This guy was supposed to be the savior for Miami football. 
If you go out there and get hammered by a team that's just starting to build up, it kind of crescendos where FSU is going. And then they're also recruits see like, we don't know what Miami is yet. So yeah. it just brought doubts. But like I said, Mario is an excellent elite recruiter. He does a great job, but um, I think it, I think it could really signify kind of where, where FSU is going. This is an important game for FSU to make a statement game to one, you win, you get bowl eligible. If I'm not, not mistaken. And two, yeah. And two, you go into the Syracuse game, six and three, certainly a chance to accomplish what you wanted to, because we've all circled that eight win mark. If, if eight, eight or nine. So you get to that point and then it, it, it almost makes uh, the vision of what Norvell's done. I've said to a lot of these recruits come to fruition, and that and I think that impacts heavily the 2024 class. So I think that's why this game is so important for FSU. Awesome, man! Thanks so much for joining us, Michael. Thanks to D Rob. Thanks to everybody that yep. watched and contributed, and all the questions. Thanks to ABC Fine Wine and Spirits for supporting the program. Thanks to Ben for producing it. Thanks to the Moth. It's yes. about to die. You guys don't know how bad of a death this moth is about to have. <laughs> say your say your last rites to this moth because it's about to go down. Uh, thanks, everybody. Enjoyed it. Watch uh, the Wake Up War Channel be up tonight or in the morning. Jeff Cameron Show tomorrow. Plenty of coverage at warchant.com. Stay tuned. And Michael will have a recruiting chat, uh, I'm sure, this week leading up to the Miami game. So thanks a lot, guys. We'll talk to you again soon.